0: The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.
1: You know what I want. I want to talk.
2: Hello and welcome to the Raptors weekly podcast joined or joining me I should say right after the Raptors game four, massive win on the back of Kawhi Leonard is the host of locked on Raptors a contributor to Raptors HQ but even larger than that a contributor to Raptors culture at large the man who is known overwhelmingly for his positive takes and his his comedy everything that is good with being Raptors fan fighting the fatalistic ideas of the world
1: Sean Woodley how are you our guest today that is like one of the nicest intros I've ever uh, received thanks man uh I'm so happy to be here you're doing such a good job with this podcast and I'm very glad to be part of it for the first time yeah well
2: hopefully we can make it happen more than once especially since it's like two positive forces coming together and there's no the, there's no better uh, time to come together than after one of the biggest wins in franchise history. So I guess the first thing I'll say to you is the Raptors just won Game Four. The it was it's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe we'll draw on that old trope and we'll we'll suggest that when Pascal Siakam the calf injury came out seemingly on a play where he stuck his leg out in front of Joel Embiid was just like. Every, maybe every bad thing everybody has ever done, it felt like the chicken's coming home to roost. And it was just like, how are they going to take game four? Now that they have game four,
1: what are your initial takeaways from it? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been as like in the dumps as I was yesterday when the Pascal news came out. Like usually I'm pretty, like you said off the top, I'm usually like, trying to look for the positive side of things and usually the Raptors are pretty good at offering those things up they're usually quite good they have a lot of data to back up they're very good uh, in particular this year they're they're insanely good and have Kawhi Leonard uh, who did some stuff on Sunday that's <laughs> people I'm, I'm sure are familiar <laughs> with um, but when Siakam got hurt it just kind of felt like it was all kind of spiraling and then you get like the the naysayers just being like, oh, Kawhi's gone for sure. It's going to be – he's going to the Clippers, baby. And it's just like, oh, God. If they lose on Sunday, it's going to be probably the most miserable online experience. And, like, I mean, trying to decide what the most miserable online experience is is pretty hard. But, like, it just felt like it was all going to coalesce into just being a day where you just had to, like, turn off the internet for an entire day. Um, and instead, we're, like, sitting here thrilled. <laughs> and uh I, full disclosure, still haven't gotten my thoughts in order. My brain, like, I, I think I just stopped shaking. Um, I think the game ended, like, an, exactly an hour ago as we record, and I'm still just kind of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like... <laughs> really excited about what happened very uh, apologetic to my girlfriend who was sitting next to me just screaming at the tv for three hours um and uh really like suddenly optimistic about what's gonna happen in the rest of the series because you go back to game five uh and you know, you're gonna be at home which is nice two of the next three are at home which is a huge thing to have uh joelle Embiid looks not right at all Sounds like he was really sick after today's game. Uh, Brett Brown said that he was, like, amazed that he was even playing in one of the sideline interviews he had. The first time a sideline interview has ever yielded something useful. Um, And, you know, it was, you know, I'm suddenly just like, okay, Raps in six, baby. Let's go. That's going to happen. And that's kind of where I'm at. It it just feels very, very relieving. I'm not sure if it's, like, the biggest win in Raptors history because – I mean, like Game 7 against the Pacers, they lose that game and a whole bunch of stuff is going to happen. And you don't know who's going to be back and if the era is going to end with that game if they lose that Game 7. Obviously, the wins against the Cavs, even though they weren't ultimately all that meaningful for the grand scheme of things, or in the eyes of LeBron, who didn't view them as adverse situation, as we have uh, heard (laughs) infamously now, um, You know, I think still this win is right up there and that's probably the biggest shot we've ever seen in Raptors history. And we're just kind of like in the process of digesting it. And it's uh it's a really cool and good feeling right now. I got to say, I-, I was not expecting to feel this way. I was dreading this game um, in a way that I haven't really ever for any Raptors playoff game, save for like game four against Milwaukee a few years ago. Uh, and it's just, it's a nice refreshed sense of optimism and it's nice to see people on the internet, also kind of seemed to kind of carry that optimism as well. And you know, it, it's a, a series that a lot of people picked to go six or seven games with the Raptors winning. And in order for that to happen, you got to lose some along the way. And I guess they got that out of the way, I suppose. At least they, hopefully, they got all their losing out of the way, and they can go on and win this thing like most, most people expected they would. Um, yeah, I'm I just, I'm surprised at how happy I'm feeling right now because I was not expecting that result in this game. Yeah,
2: I mean, when you look at, and I'll talk about something you talked about is in the doldrums, you're looking at the internet, everything was spiraling out of control. It seemed like it was the Raptors completely unraveling. They lost the game. Joel Embiid windmilled on them. (laughs) Pascal Siakam, you know, orchestrates the first dirty play of his career question mark, even though him and, you know, him and Embiid dapped each other up right after, but Mm -hmm. that's all those things stacking on top of each other bad. And then Siakam gets the injury and then you start looking at this game like, what is going to happen? You finally get to the point where we watch the game. Kawhi Leonard takes the team, firmly plants them on his back. Kyle Lowry comes out. He has seven points early. He hits a pull-up three. He gets the rim. There's you know, hints. There's little pieces of the game that look like very good indicators of what a winning Raptors team will look like. But still, you I I thought that the floodgates would open. I seriously thought that game four was going to be there. The Raptors have missed so many open three-pointers, open shots at all, that I just thought that maybe the floodgates would come pouring open. We would hit regression to the mean, and that would be progression in this sense, and that the 76ers would pale in comparison. But we're still, you know, it's nothing as easy. We won the game and we fought away all this nastiness all this negativity but the raptors still on the whole are struggling mightily to dissect <laughs> a 76ers defense that was never vaunted as anything extraordinary extraordinary even and how like what what is your takeaway why is it so hard is it just the missed shots are there other things they're missing like what what is happening that the raptors who by all accounts were one of the best three-point shooting teams since they got Marcus Hall since February can't make a shot from behind like from beyond the arc unless it's Kawhi Leonard pulling up over Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons something like that and like they just can't get easy points it seems what like how do you diagnose that what are you seeing besides missed shots
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is just missed shots, and it's kind of bizarre to see, like, Serge Ibaka. I know he hasn't shot super well this season, but for him to just miss by, like, three feet twice in a game is bizarre. <laughs> and, like, oh, no, it's not ordinary. Um, and, you know, uh, they could be making it easier on themselves, I think. I mean, Kawhi hit that three over Joel Embiid, but for the entire fourth quarter, really they ran the same action and it was not much. It was very much like the Rockets warriors series we've seen where it's just the same play being run every single time down the court by the Rockets. And it was just, you have Gasol screened for Kawhi trying to get the switch onto Embiid, which is a bit of a curious decision, even though Embiid is a little bit, you know, immobile right now, he's still Joel Embiid. He's still insanely good at defense and it was not, you know, creating good looks reliably for the raps. And, And that just felt like maybe a missed opportunity. You got J.J. Redick just like hanging out off the ball. Try to do something there. Run something off the ball to get a switch away from the ball or just have Danny Green come set a screen for Kawhi and try to get that switch there or at least make the Sixers work to avoid the switch and maybe open up a window of opportunity for Kawhi that way. Um, and, you know, Tobias Harris, I thought... I thought all along in this series, they could be attacking him more. They haven't really taken advantage of the two holes in the Sixers defense, which is what you're supposed to do in the playoffs. Like that's kind of the thing Raptors fans know well, like, oh, DeMar and Jonas are on the floor. They're going to get attacked all the time. Um, That feels like the, what the plan should be against the Sixers, but it's not happening. And because Kawhi is just a fire breathing breathing dragon, they get away with it and it's fine, I guess. Um, But uh, they could make it easier on themselves and, you know, they don't have enough, They haven't had enough of of Pascal with the ball in his hands, I don't think, Uh, especially if, you know, Harris is going to be guarding him or they're going to have someone that you think you can kind of pick apart there. Like, I think Siakam got like a straight dunk today just out of him running a pick and roll. And the the Sixers were confused by it, and it ended up, you know, creating the best look Siakam got all day. And, you know, it is a little bit of both, I think. You know, it's like Danny Green has shot bizarrely poorly so far in this series. And I don't really understand why Uh, maybe he's still bothered by whatever thumb injury he picked up near the end of the season, but it was on his off hand. And it feels like he has had good games since then. Um, So I I don't know, maybe the Sixers are doing something that I'm not seeing in terms of trying to make things difficult on him. I know it's hard for him on, on on defense because he's got to usually stick with Danny green and that's not easy. And I, I guess maybe just like the equity you have to put into playing defense on these Sixers, kind of translates to the other side as well. And you're kind of losing a bit of offensive juices just because you're so tired trying to defend against Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and all these like enormous people. Um, So maybe that is a little bit to do with it. And then the bench guys just look at it out of their depth and it's really, really alarming and and, and frustrating to watch. Um, So I think a lot of it is, you know, they're not making it super easy on themselves, but at the same time you can't really account for, Danny Green being so rough, or Pas- Pascal missing four threes in a game, all wide-open corner threes. That just doesn't happen. Um, and, you know, it's the make-or-miss thing we heard a million times from Dwayne Casey to Doug Smith in post-game press conferences, but it, it is, it's is—it's holding up here. And, uh, thankfully, this Raptors team has a defense that can kind of maintain a floor high enough that they can get away with some bad shooting. Um, and I thought their defense in this game it kind of got back to what, you know, people were concerned about the offense in game Three, but I thought the biggest thing there was their defense just abandoned them and they couldn't figure out how to stop Joel Embiid in the pick and roll and they, they were just getting beaten in space. And that wasn't the case in this game. And because of that, they were able to get away with some rough shooting and some maybe subpar performances from the bench or just like a lack of guys on the bench, even playing minutes because the defense was just offering such a floor. That they were able to the margin of error grows that way because the Raptors are so talented. So um, that's kind of my takeaway here is yeah, even if the offense is not going to be rough, it's, at least they're defending. And that that kind of you know, eases that wound a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely suppressed my if I've ever wanted to to say, like, Danny, what are you doing, man? I just I try and remind myself that his defense has been, for the most part, pretty great. He's an important cog to the team's defense, especially how they want to defend one of Harris, Butler, and Simmons all at the same time. The things he's doing on defense, very good. Really strange, bizarre world things are happening to his jump, like his jump shot. He's like a top three shooter in the whole league. You know, if you discount Curry, let's say let's say it's Joe Harris, Seth Curry, and Steph Curry and Danny Green, something like that. but he's yeah. he's not hitting. it's It's kind of strange. And the thing that I noticed as well is there's the hyperbolic type of answer where you say, like, the Raptors' juju is off and they can't hit their shots. That's, like, there is a bit of that, I'm sure. Even seeing, you know, Marcus all like, do two pivots as he's wide open above the three-point line only to launch it and get front rim. Things like that, very vexing. But the thing is, right, is that after game one, when Kawhi Leonard started playing the pick and roll a lot, he started killing the drop defense that the 76ers were doing. And that was when Jimmy Butler was on him. The adjustment for the 76ers was to put Ben Simmons on Kawhi. Ben Simmons for the whole series has been absolutely incredible defensively. Even though Kawhi is scorching the earth like Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder, very aggressive, <laughs> going to take everybody out doesn't negotiate with terrorists. He's going to end the world. He's, he's completely dominating. But pesky as ever, you know, Ben Simmons is Matthew McConaughey trying to get that TiVo. He, he's just in his face. He, he won't leave him alone. So the drop defense is something they return to after they put Simmons on Kawhi. The drop defense, and like you alluded to, it's harder to attack J.J. Reddick and Tobias Harris or something that they're not doing enough. When they play that drop defense... That way, Embiid gets to hang and lurk around the rim. Suddenly, attacking Tobias Harris is only good if you're if you're shooting, like if you're going to bounce him, step back, and hit a three. Because if Kyle Lowry beats Tobias Harris off the dribble, he's just beating him to go to the rim where Joel Embiid is lurking. And Embiid is really good defending the rim. I mean, those block shots he had on Ibaka and Siakam are absolutely crazy. And same thing with leaving trying to post up, let's say, Reddick with Danny Green, is that the decision to drop Joel Embiid has been really transformative for this series. And there has been no adjustment on the Raptors' part except just to say, like, Kawhi Leonard, please shoot an 80 true shooting percentage. Please end <laughs> the world with every possession. Like, it, it's crazy, and it's, it's lazy, and it's there's something that is so infuriating about it but so rewarding and that's why like you alluded to hunting mismatches running the same play every time down this down down the floor like a la the houston rockets i love watching houston try and just mike tyson punch the golden state warriors out of games it's one of my favorite things to watch i know everyone hates the tedious ref baiting that type of thing but i love just walking down the floor Eyeing up Steph Curry and saying, like, look, you're going to get it, buddy. Like, we're, we're isoing. It's you.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and just going after it. The fact that the Raptors have a guy who can do that, seemingly better than James Harden after James Harden <laughs> made his claim to fame that. And they're winning the, the mix of like this complete world beater defense with this just relentless, I I saw that Adam McQueen was going to write an article called Kawhi Robot, like this robot-esque Kawhi just doing everything on the other end, mixed with a little bit of cavalry flair. By far the most rewarding version of the Raptors I've ever seen. And so after my soliloquy, uh, a word that Stephen A. Smith would use, I'll ask (laughs) you, what was your favorite thing you saw from that game after I just went on and on about mine?
1: I mean, it's... The Kawhi shot. <laughs> it's yeah. It's not even close. It was just like all of the stress buildup from that game. Like I've I have been obnoxious <laughs> for the last three hours just in my house screaming at the TV and like just like saying things about basketball players that I just like calling Jimmy like calling out Jimmy Butler's family <laughs> while he's doing stuff to the Raptors. <laughs> oh like, my just like stooping to a horrible horrible level and then like uh, just to see that just the relief when that goes down you look at the clock i don't know, like there was like a minute 15 left or something like that maybe under a minute when he hits that shot it just it really it all kind of leaves you right And, and it's the kind of shot that even if the Raptors don't go on to even win this series, if they go on to win you know, this series, lose in the conference finals, whatever it is, Kawhi leaves after the year, like that's the kind of shot that you invest everything in for, right? Like that's what you, that's the moment, that's the relief, that's the, just like the outright jubilation that this is all for. And yes, titles are like nice and the nice validations of everything, but really what you're looking for in the playoffs is moments to me. Um, like moments as a fan sort of like enrich your fandom and like make it deeper and stronger and more connected to the team and seeing a shot like that which I think probably goes down and recency bias is a bitch but I I kind of think it's not really even debatable that goes down as the best shot in Raptors history the biggest shot whatever you know term you want to use for it and to be, to be able to say that, like, even if they lose this series, we got to see the biggest shot in Raptors history. That, like, almost makes it worth it. I know it doesn't in the, in the moment, but, like, four or five years from now, if Kawhi's gone or if he's here and he's playing with Siakam and Giannis, whatever it is, like, when you're looking down the road, you're thinking back to that shot and, like, god damn, we got to watch that. And, like, it, think about how much people think of, like, Mo Pete's 3. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in the, against the Wizard, Against the Wizards in a regular season game. This was in a playoff game, which was as close to do or die as you can get near the end of like a really grimy back and forth, disgusting quarter where nothing was being yielded on either side. And Kawhi just like has this moment of just like sheer brilliance. And that's what it's for, man. That's what it's all about as a fan. And I know, again, people are going to say, well, it doesn't matter if he doesn't win a title. Like, no, that's dumb. Like, it's. It's something that we'll always hold on to. And to be able to say that, like, within an hour after the game, and you already know that's the case, that's that's really special. And it's something that, uh, unfortunately, past versions of this team were not really able to provide. Either they lose really unceremoniously or they'd win blowout games <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of avoid, you know, having those, like, tense moments late in games where they really, really had to win outside of, like, I guess, game five against the Pacers. Um, And like game six against Milwaukee to an extent. Um, This game, man, it's we're never going to forget this game. That is the thing I'm coming away thinking about. It's just it's really cool to just be able to sit here and think, damn, like that is a sports fan memory that just is always going to be with me now. And Kawhi Leonard brought it, man. It's uh, it's pretty cool.
2: It's so important to have guys like that come through a franchise, especially one that's dealt with as much turmoil, and I don't want to be too dramatic, but as much turmoil as the Raptors have, it's crazy. It's crazy to notice. I guess there's a couple things I'll comment on. It's crazy to notice that, like, the other... There's two popular sports in the world to me. I know football's popular, but CT and all that. The Raptors, NBA, and football, soccer. Let's say that. Mm. Like, the Premier League, Champions League. The fact that the Raptors are tied 2-2 now... After they got absolutely shellacked in game three, and there's no aggregate, nothing. I, I think it's some advanced warfare <laughs> that the Raptors they got absolutely dominated in game three. And the 76ers are like, oh yeah, we got this. Then they fight <laughs> tooth and nail, they get game four. The 76ers, you have to feel in the like in your heart of hearts, you're like, this is bullshit, man. Like they get the same amount of win. For this one, as we do this one, then going into Game 5, they're going to be ready. Not to, not to beat the hell out of them. They're like, we're going to get a tooth and nail one back. Except the Raptors. The Raptors are going to destroy them in Game 5. Now, I don't know <laughs> if they win in Game 6. My original prediction was a Game 6 um, victory with, after Meek Mill rings the Liberty Bell. Something like that. <laughs> but I think that the Raptors, like the psyche of the 76ers, is tough. Because Jimmy Butler is leading it. And Jimmy Butler has had a, a crazy career arc as it is. And even in this series, let's say, Jimmy Butler going from everybody talking about how, oh my god, like Kawhi dominated him. We all thought that Jimmy Butler was this type of defender, but he looks like this type of defender now. Things like that. And then for Jimmy Butler to come back, he loses that defensive matchup. But Jimmy Butler's playmaking and efforts in the pick and roll... Have pretty much been the cog in the 76ers offense, especially in game three, to take apart the Raptors. There's so many com- competing conceptions of good in this series. And like both fan bases are so nihilistic. Even I didn't even think there was one Sixers blogger who picked the Sixers to win. And here they were like the Raptors are <laughs> down 2 1. Everybody's, you know, punching down. And now they're like, Kyle Lowry, he's fat. Like just these low brow <laughs> comments. And it's, you know, it's just things like that. Everything's toppling. Now it's 2-2. Two, two. They have home advantage. Everybody's get dunked on the 76ers now. The waves of the internet. And th- you know what? This is the point you made early on. Still rattled from the wind. I'm not even framing a question for you right now. I brought you on as a guest. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm rambling. And I'm talking about Jimmy Butler's career arc. I'm talking about the internet's uh, etiquette. And and there's no <laughs> question Frank, for you, so I'm gonna try and save it, and I'll think of one. All right, Joel Embiid is very good, <laughs> but I've thought of okay. another question already, a better one. Fred VanVleet. Okay. How does he? How does he salvage this series for himself? That's got to be like the question, right? Because if James Ennis is scoring more than like the Raptors' whole bench combined in the series, that seems like that's the series, right? Like that, if you just get Fred VanVleet to score more than Check's Watch, Check's Box score zero points, then then it seems like the Raptors might be able to bag this. How how does he? What does he do going forward? How does Nick Nurse help him? Maybe.
1: I don't even know. <laughs> um, it's number one is like just take him off the ball. Please take him off the ball because he really seems to just have no. Idea what he wants to do with the ball in his hands. He seems really sort of thrown off by how big the Sixers are at all times. Just arms in his face nonstop, and I, you know, I can get, I understand why he's intimidated. He's the smallest guy in the court at all times, and I, it's a real shame that the Sixers aren't throwing a bone and having some T.J. McConnell minutes because that's where Fred could thrive, I think. But that's just not how this series has gone, and that's just not how the Sixers, you know, use their use their guys. And I honestly don't know if this series is salvageable for Fred Van Today, Norman Powell had one assist, and I was like, maybe he should be the backup point guard. <laughs> like, it's got it's <laughs> that point. But in seriousness, I think, like, the way to do it, and I think they did, did this exactly today, is just never have one of Kawhi or Kyle off the floor and have them be the de facto point guard, whoever is the sole guy on the floor with bench guys and – if you're gonna to try to match the Embiid minutes, and I think they've done a better job with that the last couple games with Gasol um, matching his minutes there, like that is going to I think inherently line up with how the Raptors typically stack up in those second quarters when the Sixers have their bench out, or sorry, have their starters out there, or have Embiid out there with multiple starters. Um, and, and if you have Gasol playing with Van Vliet, then maybe Van Vliet gets some more off-ball action. Um, that's the thing with Fred, right? Is I, I think the stuff with him running the offense needs to end big time. I think he's a better shooter than he's shown in this series. Like, I I, I know he is. He has been a better shooter like that in his entire career. It's just I think he's really, really thrown off running the offense right now. And also just feels like a waste of resources when he's running the offense because he is a good shooter and because Kawhi and Kyle are usually on the floor with him, um, usually Kawhi, because I think the Kyle and Fred looks are just too small in this series. Um, so if you're going to pair Kawhi with Fred, having the ball in Kawhi's hands is way more preferable than to having it in Fred's hands, and and I just think there are ways to use Fred off the ball. Have him run around. Just have him do the J.J. Redick thing, where he's just running around and tiring somebody out. Like, even if it's not going to use like you know, gain all that much in terms of just, like, points for Fred, there's some sort of, I think, positive sort of net outcome there, if you just have him tiring out whoever is guarding him, whether it's Simmons or Butler or Redick or whoever it is. And that that's just kind of a. It sucks that I think Fred VanVleet's kind of been you know reduced to decoy duty in this series, but like he just can't be on the ball anymore. He just can't. And I think I liked the Patrick McCaw five minutes today. I, I also liked Nick Nurse's rotation today, where he was just like, nope, we got to win this game. Our dudes are playing a lot of minutes, and Danny Green's playing forty, and Kawhi's playing forty three, and Gasol's playing thirty nine, and that's just how it's gonna be. Um, Abaka gave a really strong thirty two, I thought, and you know while there were some issues here and there those threes that I mentioned where he just bricked them or did, couldn't even brick them because he missed them so by, by so much. Um, <laughs> like I, I liked the Powell McCaw sprinkling and I liked just like the very, very short leash for those not very good lineups. So so instead of Fred Van Vliet compiling a minus 15, he was only able to compile a minus six, you know, and that's kind of the crappy reality of this series. I feel like, you know, fred has a place if they get onto the second round and they're playing either boston or milwaukee like i feel like there's a place for him in that series um just because of the size it'll match up a little bit better and he won't just be totally outgunned by everyone he's on the court against but i really don't know if there's a way for fred do you you think there's a way for fred to kind of figure it out here because i just can't really see one
2: there is one way i don't want him to play any more minutes I tweeted out my gripe. It was I saw his first two possessions. I counted how long he spent dribbling the ball. He had mm. two possessions as a primary ball handler and 23 seconds of dribbling the ball. That is absurd. I think he should go to prison for it. And, you know, <laughs> life isn't fair. What he has to do, basically, is just make every shot he takes. If he's not doing that, it's, it's just not worth it. And even going forward, for his sake you would hope that they play the Celtics. Maybe there's Rosier minutes. But if they play the Bucks, it's just going to be Bledsoe and Brogdon. And we've already seen that Brogdon, I call him Brogdon, now Brogdon. Let's say Brogdon. Good enough. You'll see, we've seen Brogdon poses a lot of problems for the Raptors. And especially mm. the Raptors' two-guard lineups with Van Vliet and Lowry. So do I think there's a way forward for Van Vliet. He just has to make shots seriously. The whole, the sum of everything that's happening has just led to this terrifying, very horrible outcome for his game of the past, let's say the whole playoffs, honestly. He wasn't effective in the Orlando series either. So all the things that have been happening, too much dribbling, lack of creation, lack of separation, struggling to get anywhere because of the length that is opposing him. And then not making any shots, even though he's a good shooter. I don't think that he can ever get away from the limitations that his height, juxtaposed with long defenders, causes him.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: he can make his shots if they're open. He has missed open shots in this series. He hasn't gotten a lot of them. But he, if you make your open shots, people will think more fondly of you. It does wonders for Norman Powell at times. That's <laughs> that's his That's his way forward. But it's... My God, it might not be till the finals till he gets, you know, a decent shake at minutes that might be rewarding for him. It's, it's a tough way forward. And I think that the Raptors, the way that they're built, you touched on it, Norman Powell's point guard. We have to get away, at least in this series, and probably against the Bucks as well, we have to get away from the idea that there just has to be a small guy handling the ball. Like yeah. you said, Kawhi... He, he took up most of the possessions, most of them, and he's been doing that for quite some time now. You don't need Fred VanVleet on the court to dribble the arrow to the ball. You, you need a guy who can just go make plays. He doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. So moving to, you know, you said Norman Powell is the backup point guard. Whatever you call it, Norman Powell should just get the minutes over Fred VanVleet, and, that, and that's fine. So I think I agree with you in that sense, and I agree with you in the sense that Fred VanVleet doesn't have a role going forward. Mm -hmm. OG Ananobi, I guess, and that's the thing about this series. The Raptors are playing the right way. The Raptors are playing the right way. They're just missing shots, man. And Mm -hmm. I feel like all the adjustments have been talked about to death. We know how the 76ers are causing them problems. The 76ers are cheating off of people who usually make shots, and then they're not making shots. That cycle runs its course over and over, and then it ends up compiling in a way that the Raptors are just scared to shoot now. So now we're winning games in the low 90s or in the low 100s. There's nothing even to talk about. It's just like they need to make more shots. So one yeah. thing I'll throw at you, I guess, OG Ananobi. How do, you, how do you feel about OG? Where would he fit in this series? What would he massage? Let's, let's play the hypothetical Tim, game.
1: I miss him so much. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like this wasn't a great year for him, obviously. And it's hard to sort of project what he was going to look like had he played in the playoffs. And I'm sure he'll get back if they go beyond this round um, and we'll get to see it. But like people forget, I think, how like just stone cold he was in the playoffs last year. And I, I really think in this series, his size would be so valuable. Like you'd be less concerned about Pascal being not 100%. If you could just plug OG in there. And have him be even like, if even if Siakam's going to play, but you want to limit his minutes or whatever, just you know, you could plug OG as the starter and you'd be happy with that. You'd be fine with OG at the four, guarding Harris, you know, doing the thing. You're okay with him switching on to people that wouldn't be a problem. Um, it's just it, it, the size thing is really, really important in the series because the Sixers are huge all the time, even when they're playing their bench units. You know, Jimmy Butler's the, the backup point guard, and it's just. It becomes really, really hard for guys like Fred and even Powell at times to really fit in, and OG would be such a breath of fresh air. Whether he would make his shots, obviously, we have no way of saying, but I feel pretty confident in him as like a catch and shoot guy, and like I feel like his best moments have come where he's been the fifth guy on on the floor who's just there to do catch and shoot stuff, and you know make the odd play off the bounce and play good defense and uh i I, he would be so valuable in the series i think i really really think that that he would just be such a uh such an asset and and, you know if you really wanted to try to get weird and you wanted to try to do the thing where you know you try to make the other team adjust to you you know the anytime the raptors like are have the chips down i'm like oh just play siakam at the five but then i'm like oh crap og's not there you can't play siakam at the five um and, and and still maintain enough size like the Siakam OG Leonard Green Lowry lineup is like my dream lineup and they've done it a couple times not enough for my liking um but like that lineup you would think at some point in these playoffs is going to be something they have to go to um and with OG not being in the lineup and maybe Pascal not being 100% like it's it's pretty dicey and it's just it's a really really i mean think about when the trade happened when they got Kawhi it was like oh my god they got Kawhi and didn't have to give up OG and Pascal, there was a reason we were really excited about that. They're both very useful players, in particular, paired with Kawhi, and it sucks not to have them. I think the series would be looking, I don't know how much different it would look, because we don't know, again, if OG would make his shots, but like, I think the Raptors would feel a lot less spread thin if OG was there, and we'd feel a lot lot better about the Siakam uncertainty if OG was there as well. That's kind of where I'm coming down on it. Yeah, absolutely, and the crazy
2: thing is like, the fact that the Raptors are missing so many shots in this series makes the rest of the places where they're losing so much more impactful. And they're really only losing at the margins. So like even just something as small as the Raptors transition defense, having OG massages so much of the cross matching. So you don't have to be so frantic about losing guys in transition. You can just kind of like walk back or run back and defend the guy in front of you, things like that. And Something that Mark Gasol, who is great and lovable, Kyle Lowry, great and lovable, sometimes you get the feeling, and geez, I hate myself for being the guy who says, do they get nervous when they shoot? I you <laughs> know, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know them. But, like, sometimes they look a bit passive, a bit, you know, they're, they're not as assertive as they would be in a, a no-pressure situation, let's say. I know what OG Nobi would miss shots. Do I think... However, that he would miss shots because of the moment? No, zero percent. Like he's stone a, cold.
1: He's a large-nutted man.
2: <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't feel anything. Yeah, like if he was golfing, he'd be terrible because he wouldn't feel the wind. He would just shoot it straight <laughs> all the time. There would there would be never anything like that. I I yeah, I feel like the OGN OB hypothetical is as as good a thing to take us into the break as any. So, if you're listening to this, listener, hello, listener, if you're listening to this, uh, you're going to hear an ad right away. And then we're going to talk about uh, the Twitter questions.
1: Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger
0: Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their
1: families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you.
2: Welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm still joined by legendary commentator Sean Woodley of the Lockdown Raptors Podcast, and we're going to be reading off some Twitter questions and responding to them. You guys ask them, and we'll be responding. The Fadeaway, uh, with the A before the E, says the guy or says guys, can you please talk about the big adjustment of the fourth Mark Slash Ibaka as the front court lineup instead of Siakam? Thoughts on this? I'll throw this one over to you.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, for a time they had Siakam as the three. Uh, I think that was for most of the quarter actually. And I was thrown off at the at the beginning. I was like, "Huh, uh, that's bizarre." But I I haven't really been able to figure out what I think about it yet. I don't think I think it. The results were there and they were fine. And I thought Ibaka's sort of help side defense was really useful. And they didn't really get burned too hard by sort of Ibaka having to guard Tobias Harris. Harris had himself a very high-volume game, but he didn't have himself a very successful game. He was only 2 of 13 from deep, and maybe you don't want to count on that ever again, and maybe those 13 three-pointers are sort of a byproduct of having Ibaka on him quite a bit, but I thought Ibaka did a pretty reasonable job closing out, and the rebounding that he provided, while in that fourth quarter you know, segment, it was a little bit hairy, a little bit on the defensive glass for a couple possessions here and there, For the most part, I thought Ibaka did a good job helping on the glass. He had nine boards in the game. I thought that's just something that they've desperately needed, Uh, and it wasn't like a huge disparity on the offensive glass. I think it was 11-8 to in this one for the Sixers, and Jimmy Butler had five of them on his own, and that's not on Ibaka. That's on like Danny Green and Kyle Lowry not boxing up their man after he shoots. You saw all the time when Butler was putting shots up, he was chasing his misses all the time, and that's on the guards. That's not on Ibaka, so I uh, I thought it was good. I, I thought it was smart considering Siakam wasn't super healthy to uh, at the end of the game there. Run with Green, Lowry, Leonard, Gasol, Ibaka. I thought that was the smart closing lineup, and I was pleasantly surprised with how Ibaka played offensively, uh, minus the threes. I thought he did a good job of like you know carving out space and using his size over Harris to you know get those passes right near uh, sort of the restricted area where he could sort of turn around for his little floater there. I thought that was smart. And I, I don't know, I I dug the move. I, I have no issues with it. And I think considering the stress that's been put on the rotation by the lack of performance from the backup guards and the lack of OG, I think it was uh, a, a decision that ended up paying off. I'm not sure how, like, I'm not sure I would have, like, wanted to see it going into the game, but I'm not upset having seen it. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. It was definitely obliged by a Siakam's injury and and the effects of that on his game. And obviously, Fred Van Vliet, McCaw, Powell, just feeling shorthanded in the backcourt and the wings behind Kawhi. Obviously, that you know made it more of a responsibility to go there instead of a decision. It was something you had to try. You have to play your best players more often. And even though Ibaka has been up and down in the playoffs, he was really great in the regular season, and this was a bit of a return to form for him. I thought he did a good job, like, like you said, Sean, like carving out space in the middle. He was a lot more aggressive on the roll. He, it wasn't just like pick and pop because he knew that that wasn't what the team wanted at the time. He did miss his threes, but, you know, what are you going to do? Take your open shots. He hit that jumper in the fourth quarter, which was big on the baseline, and his defense, it, it was very important the way that the 76ers were playing, that when the ball got funneled into the paint, that Serge Ibaka was waiting if anybody got the edge on Gasol, if anybody got the edge on Kawhi, something like that. Serge Ibaka sitting, kind of lurking in the paint, was important. Are the 76ers going to change anything they do because of that? I don't think so. I think that they're, the Raptors won this game. They played really well defensively, but I wouldn't expect Tobias Harris to, to shoot 2 of 13 from downtown again. And I think that's the 76ers would feel that way as well, that... The Raptors, the way we feel that the 76ers are really lucky that the Raptors miss so many of their open shots, mm. that's probably how the 76ers feel about Tobias Harris and this adjustment it, just because somebody else asked about how are the how is Philly going to adjust so I'll just do both those questions in one. Philly probably won't adjust. They're probably happy with Tobias Harris, who is by all counts a very good shooter, shooting 13, mostly open triples. so I think I think that's it. Next question. And it's is, not like
1: they have the resources really to adjust, because adjusting means they play bigger and then like play like more Mike Scott or more Bobon and or more more Jonah Bolden. I don't think they want to do that. I that's one of the biggest adjustments of the series is to
2: just kind of phase Bobon out of it because he he's not bad well in this one. He's
1: really bad. <laughs> and he's I, so I good him. though. He's so no, fantastic. <laughs> I love him because he's like cool and goofy, but like he's a bad basketball player who has no place in most playoff series. I'm sorry to all the John Wick fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> John Wick, are you a John Wick fan? I've never seen John Wick.
2: Wow, that's
1: that's yeah. surprising to me. I feel like yeah, I've I haven't seen a lot of things that I'm supposed to have seen, but uh, yeah, I'll get to it at some point. I'm sure.
2: I wonder what that entails. I remember when Blake. Blake Murphy told me he never watched Star Wars. I was like, wow, never yeah. a Star Wars. Joseph
1: Cacharo from The Score uh, for the longest time like shamed me because I hadn't seen The Godfather. And uh, I eventually watched the first one. I haven't seen the other ones yet, but it was fine.
2: Does Joseph <laughs> wear a lot of suits? He big suit guy?
1: Joey Cash? Uh, not really, no. He's always got the good hair going,
2: though. Oh, yeah. Definitely a Godfather yeah. fan. That, that, Harris- that movie spurred on a lot of hair culture i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> okay jesse lawrence says is Kawhi leonard a machine sent from the future to protect us yes
1: <laughs> i mean yes although from the future seems weird because that's where all the questions about him are looming is his future maybe it's just a maybe it's just a present day machine i don't know we've got the technology to have machines as advanced nowadays no
2: yeah, they just don't move as fluid as he does. I'd always... And the thing is, his jumper is so similar to Michael Jordan's. It's just that rigid, straight arm and then all wrist. Not a yeah. lot of arc either. And it's just like, it doesn't matter if his back is to the basket or something. As long as, that, as long as that wrist, that elbow comes around straight, he'll just fling it at it. And that's the thing is like, no wonder... He has no like emotion, no anything. Like, there's no rhythm to his jumper at all. It's just like rock into the base, put it there, and just throw it at the rim. And he's nothing can happen to Kawhi Leonard. He is a, a genius and a robot, and he's everything. What is it, Boston Dynamics? They're the people yeah, who always the, have those.
1: those. The, yeah, those are the horrifying people I'm thinking of.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's like we've never, and taking account. We've never seen Kawhi Leonard open a door, right? True. True. <laughs> his, his hands were designed for basketball. It's like if somebody told you to open a door handle, but the, you know, the handle was like a pin, you probably wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't have the dexterity. You wouldn't have the fine motor functions. That's what door handles are to Kawhi. He can only pull and push things. That's why his <laughs> jumper is so pull and push. There's, there's no, it's not a fine motor function. He just locks it in, <laughs> shoots it away. So, yes, he's absolutely a machine. Uh, Karl Marx, by the way, has a very famous quote where he says that machines will not add value to man. They will devalue man. So, you know, keep in mind, Kawhi Leonard, he could devalue the rest of basketball players. In his efforts to take the Toronto Raptors to the top, we could be saying... What's the point of paying all these guys so much money? The new CBA could reflect maybe that Kawhi the machine. More of him will be built. Every single team will now have a Kawhi. And the underlying workers, let's say, they don't have the, what are the, they won't have the means of, okay, I'm not going to get into the Marxist rant. We'll leave that at the door. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a robot. He's a, a machine. You should have said robot because the machine thing that, you know, that has a lot of underlying things. Um, <laughs> Andrew Williams. Oh, well, is FEV kind of done for the series? Yes, Andrew. Listen to what you've already listened to. If you're listening to the podcast. we touched on this. Uh, Gorge or Jorge Harbajosa says, all caps, it's fine. How fine is it? I think that he's <laughs> looking at you with that one. I'll, I'll let you take that one.
1: Yeah, it's like uh you know when you go to the beach and like when you first get there and you lift you just dip your hand down into the sand. It's like you just got off your flight the first place you've gone is the beach. You just put your hand in the sand and you lift it up and you just feel the grains just coursing through the ripples of your fingers and, and you're like, "Man, this is some fine sand." That's how the Raptors are right now. They they're fine. They're very very fine. They're they're going to win the series in 6. That's
2: one of the blessings, actually, I found is living in Puerto Vallarta. If the Raptors, if I'm stressed about them, is I it? just try and work a beach day into the week. Just <laughs> if I can, just try and make my way down to the beach and then, like, go swim in the ocean for a bit. I'm like, wow, you know what? It's not so bad. Every, everything's <laughs> fine after all. There's there's little winds everywhere. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm far away from all the action, though. So there there are its detractors. Um, The rest of the questions, it's all pretty much about Fred Van Vliet. It's amazing how on point we were um, yeah. answering the questions. Well, there's one from Anil Upadier. Anil Upadier. Let's say that's how it's announced, pronounced. Is it reasonable to have Norm Powell to serve as backup point guard in place of Fred Van Vliet, even though he only played seven minutes in game four? Not sure if can make plays as well, but less likely to be blocked. If that is the reason why is like specifically... You're picking a person who does not often get blocked. Norman Powell <laughs> is a bad choice. However, we already discussed why he could take over some of Fred Van Vliet's myths. Another one <clears throat> is, is FEV kind of done for the series? Yes. Another one. Looks clear to me that as long as Serge doesn't take threes, we can hurt them with a Gasol, Abaka together and bring Siakam in when Embiid rests. This is from Daniel Abraham, by the way. Fred is done. If you play him in this series, you are actively trying to lose. Yeah, it'd be funny to hurl that at Nick Nurse in a post game. So <laughs> <laughs> do you think that Serge is supposed to refrain from taking threes, or do you think that he should still shoot them if they're open?
1: I mean, the threes he got in this one that he missed were so open that I don't think you can just not take them. I mean, his his history suggests that he's like at least passable from there. And I know this season has not been very good for him, um, and I think it's been his worst like, ever since he kind of became a three point shooter. But, like, if they're that open, what the hell? Just do the thing and try to knock them down. And even if he's not, even if he does take those, I still think you can hurt them with the Gasol Bach at front court, right? Because of the size, it helps you in the glass. And, you know, you can, I mean, a Bach is not really someone you want posting up or like working from the post to try to pass out of it. So maybe that's not super useful against Harris. Like, I don't think this is their ideal lineup by any means, but. Uh, I think it, they can get some stuff done with it. And I do think a big part of it is having those guys space out. And, and the, the fact that both of them can shoot, in theory, does sort of breathe a little sort of extra breathing room into... Breathe a little breathing room. That's good English. Uh, it sort of inserts more breathing room into the offense. And just having surge stand out there gives more room for guys to operate. And having surge screen a little bit, you know, can bring... Harris into the play and you know force him to defend I think yeah it's useful having him out there even if it's not ideal
2: yeah and the playoffs if anything are all about sealing for the most part and mm-hmm. Serge even though yes he he gets a ton of flack because sometimes he does some unbelievable garbage on the court like stuff you won't believe like Marquise Chris is a young man and Serge Ibaka tried to like eat him for dinner during a regular season game things like that you're like Serge. What are you doing? Sometimes it'll just bounce off him out of bounds. He'll he'll take these crazy turnaround jump shots early in the clock, and it just leaves you wondering, like, Serge, what are you doing? But his ceiling, even though there are a lot of mental gaps attached to his game, his ceiling is very high. He's so capable. Like you saw the block on Harris. We see these crazy swooping blocks. He can dive on the roll, he can finish through contact at the basket, and every once in a while he can bang in a triple. So yeah outside of the points that Sean was making about size, there are parts, skill parts of his game and little, I guess, taps of athleticism. He can, I guess, (laughs) little pools of athleticism. He can tap into every once in a (laughs) while to throw it back to, to make a great play. And, you know, the playoffs are defined by great plays. That's why we had so much to talk about with Kawhi Leonard and his shot. Um, Before the podcast ends, Mm -hmm. Sean, what what did you think of Steph Curry's missed dunk? How do you feel about Steph Curry on the whole?
1: I think Steph Curry is extremely good at basketball. Uh, I find playoff Twitter to be kind of odious at times. And (laughs) him having one bad game or missing a dunk, while very funny, and I will laugh at it 100 times out of 100, It doesn't need to be a grander thing. We don't have to get into this whole, like, Steph or KD, who's better, whose team is it conversation. I don't care about that stuff, really. Uh, I think it's pretty well established that the the Warriors are more dangerous when Steph is kind of running the show and KD is also extremely good and the team hates each other and that's fun. And Draymond Green's mom can retweet all the Steph misses that she wants because that adds to the intrigue of it all. But, um, like, for that game that Steph had to just, like, be instantly turned into oh my god can you believe how bad Steph was like have you been watching the last five years like come on we don't need to be so overreactionary to every single game just for the sake of jokes like it's it does get a little old and like I find myself every year in March being like when are the playoffs here and then when the playoffs come it's like oh god I forgot this is what the playoffs are it's just everyone trying to make the (laughs) same jokes about things that are ultimately going to be wrong anyway Um, so that's where I'm at on that. Steph's cool, he's fine, he's not like my favorite player in the world, but he's also extremely good, and I can't not like accept or acknowledge that. He's amazing and he is the reason that the Warriors became the Warriors and he can miss dunks all he wants. I think it's really funny.
2: Yeah. Well I find that on Twitter the answer of like it's just a joke, or like when people like correct something, it's just you say like, Oh, it's just a joke. And then like the conversation just ends there. There's no accountability. People say whatever they want. I think there was a thread going around where they are like, Michael Jordan got turned into a meme. No one means anything. Like, the greatest champion in the NBA, the guy who's regarded as the best player ever, is a meme more than he's known for his basketball, on the internet anyway. But I wanted to talk about Steph Curry because I was just scanning the podcast by saying Kawhi has eclipsed him. <laughs> that was my take. Ooh.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kawhi's ridiculous it's maybe his defense has fallen off a little bit and that would sort of detract from the argument that he's the best player in the world but Kawhi's defense falling off a little bit still leaves him as like one of the 10 best defensive players in the world so I uh and probably still the guy that you'd pick if you were going to have like one possession that you needed guarded perfectly so I uh yeah that's not a crazy thing I I, it's kind of cool that You know, among all the really dumb and bad takes that happen in the playoffs, like the whole Kawhi or KD, who's sort of the next guy or Giannis, like who's sort of the next guy to take over the LeBron sort of mantle. It is kind of cool that that's kind of one of the side plots of this of this playoffs. Um, And, you know, I'm sure it'll get exhausting before long, but it's cool that it's happening now. And it's like like an actual debate, like who's better and what are the arguments for it? And, you know, what does it mean for all these teams? It's uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah the The way that Kawhi,
2: after having you know a great regular season by all metrics, but underwhelming in some ways just because of load management, what have you, the way he's inserted himself into the Giannis, KD, and to most casual fans, I don't think Curry receives like top three player. I think most people think that he's an MVP in the same way like Steve Nash was, even though Curry obviously transcends that and is way above that. I think most people. They like the wing player to be the league's best player. So the conversation is usually, you know, one of Giannis or KD. Kawhi has firmly entrenched himself into that conversation just with a few weeks in the playoffs. And he has a chance to do a lot more. It's kind of crazy, like you were saying, that the conversation is there. And it will be boring if Kawhi isn't in the conversation come the finals. But if Kawhi takes the Raptors to the finals, something like that, he has a chance, and I think that's mm-hmm. what these playoffs are all about. This is the torch, because it's the first year LeBron isn't in the finals, and this LeBron always in the finals was doing these crazy, heroic, you know, dragging the boulder up the hill, those types of things. But this year, I think it's either Kevin Durant, Giannis, or Kawhi Leonard will take the mantle of the best player for, like, maybe the next three, four years. It's, it's very yeah. intriguing to me. Yeah,
1: it's uh, yeah, it, it's one of the, the few like side plots of the playoffs that people throw takes about that's actually interesting to me. So
2: it's cool. Yeah, and he plays on our team.
1: It's How ridiculous. Nice. He's so good, and he plays for the Raptors. <laughs> it's, and
2: uh, it's, that's. I feel so bad when I throw so much love on Kawhi, and you kind of have to compare the era of Demar because yeah. Demar is my favorite player of all time, and I love Demar so much. But sometimes you just have to kind of look and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe DeMar how good. That. DeMar no. Do that. <laughs> yeah. It feels bad because like even looking back, one of my favorite shots ever was the dunk that DeMar had on Thon Maker and Giannis in game six coming out of the corner. But like Kawhi just he's hit like four shots that equal that in this playoffs alone. He's he's so good. And, yeah, that's probably that's probably the place to end the podcast. Uh, I'm going to throw it over to you. Feel free to plug whatever you want.
1: Uh, yeah, Locked on Raptors. We just did an episode after the game with myself and fellow Raptors Republic person, Josh Howe. Uh, we reacted and didn't really have any sort of coherent thoughts because it was just after the buzzer of Game 4. Uh, you can listen. To, I have a radio show in Hamilton called Hamilton is Hoops where we talk about the Raptors and also... The Canadian Elite Basketball League, which is starting up this week, should be kind of fun. Another pro basketball league to follow up here in Canada with a lot of familiar names taking part. Uh, And I will be involved. Can't really announce just how yet, but I will be involved in a way with the league going forward. And uh, yeah, that's about Raptors HQ. I write some stuff there. I'll have something after game five on Tuesday. And uh, that's about it.
2: Yeah, and if you guys want to insert a little bit of positive light into your Twitter timelines, at WoodleySean is how you follow him. As for anything else, um, I think we've covered almost everything. Like Sean said, there's incoherent babbling that was on his podcast with Josh. There was for my reaction podcast as well. And there was for this. But I hope you found some solace, some decompression in this. And uh, yeah, I hope you have the best of days whether you're listening to this night and day, whenever you get around to it, have a blessed day. Sean, thank you very much for coming on once again. And everybody, goodbye.
0: Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on.